We have one remaining with the individual, and he's not going to let her leave the aircraft at this time. He made me feel very sure that uh, we had a very real and horrifying threat. We don't know who he was, where he came from, or where he went. Hi folks, it's Ryan Burns. The following is the audio from a YouTube live broadcast uh, that occurred between myself, Eric Ulis, and Tom Kay. There are some visual elements to this broadcast, so if you'd like to see some of those images that we were discussing, you can just uh, do a YouTube search for my page, D.B. Cooper Sleuth. So with all that said, I hope you enjoy listening to this discussion that I had with my friends Eric Ulis and Tom Kay. And so, hey, Tom, you said that Ng said that they wouldn't have arrested Cooper? Yeah, right. You know what? And, you know, he brought it up out of the blue. He hmm. said, you know, if you guys do find him, he says, we're not going to arrest him anyway. I go, what? I was pretty <laughs> shocked at that, right? So, he goes, yeah, we don't arrest 90-year-old guys who are going to die in court. Right? Uh, well, so I thought about it for a second. Maybe I've repeated this before. And I said, okay, great. Put out a thing saying that there, there'll be, you'll give immunity to anybody that comes up with any, yeah. any, any information on Cooper. What's, what do you got to lose? You're not going to do anything with it anyway. Right. He goes, Oh, that's a great idea. And I go, you know, I was first of all shocked that he thought it was a great idea. Every time I suggest an idea to someone up the ladder for me, they never liked it. Uh, and he went to his boss, and sure enough, his boss nixed it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe if we get a friendly face in the FBI, uh, you know, in the future here, you know, we can we can approach that idea again. So maybe Eric, you know, if you want to pull your strings there, I don't think I don't know what kind of clout Larry's got uh, these days over there. But maybe Larry's got well, a friend. You're, you're talking with the, uh, you, I mean, well, this is this is interesting. And maybe, Ryan, you could actually answer this question. Because my understanding is that the FBI really makes no decisions as far as this goes. Ultimately, this is to the U.S. attorney or the AUSA who is handling this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so in the case of the FBI closing the case, I'm assuming that it was the U.S. attorney in Seattle, uh, because they do have that John Doe warrant out of the U.S. attorney in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I assume the U.S. attorney in Seattle just said, we're not going to we're not going to pursue it. So you may as well just shut down the shop. Is, is that a fair? Yeah. Is that fair? Is that what it is? Yeah, that, that's probably what it is. I mean, it's, I, it's know, weird I, mean, that- I know the former U.S. attorney there in Seattle. I guess I should just ask her. I don't, you know, uh, she was the former mayor of, uh, yeah, right. but I think she was, she was before this all happened. Well, so maybe uh, the windows closed on it now, since they closed the case, you know, it would be yeah. essentially reopening the case if they're looking for more info. Right. Well, the, inter- the interesting thing is, is the case even closed because, you know, it's like Larry said, uh, you know, all the stuff was sent to Washington DC, but then at some point, it got sent back to Seattle. So it's kind of what's back in Seattle? Is the tie back in Seattle? No, the tie is still in Washington, DC. The evidence apparently is still in Washington, DC, but the files are now back in Seattle. And I don't really know why that is. How did they FOIA them again? How do the FOIA things happening if Somebody's got to be looking at the case thing to FOIA the stuff out. Yeah, probably not doing that. My guess is that, but my guess is that they've already scanned all of the documents, and that they have some guy. I mean, because it takes it takes it takes it takes them a while to to, um, to redact everything. That's why they can only do you know you know three you know, three hundred fifty a month or whatever, right? Um, so I think I bet they've scanned all the files they have, and and just have them on you know drives or whatever, and and they just go and 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 some intern just does the redacting 
they would act way too much, by the way. Um, but the physical evidence, hey, speaking of that, Tom, real quick, wouldn't, I mean, and Eric too, I mean, if we are trying to get, if the tie and the parachutes and things, if the, if, won't they be open to scientific research if they become like museum artifacts at the Smithsonian? So my, my understanding is the 50-year point that that's what would happen. It essentially becomes an archival type of thing. Uh, it, but for whatever reason, this doesn't apply. I don't know. Well, so I deal with this every day in paleo, right? Yeah. Because you've got dinosaurs all over, museums all around the world. And we try and get in there to see these things, right? That's I spend my damn life doing this. So the the answer in the United States is if it's a, if it's a federal if it's a federal repository, which is a specific thing that you have to qualify for. Most of the big museums that you've ever been in are federal repositories, right? If it's a federal repository, that's like a Library of Congress that that belongs to the public. That stuff, and anyone, in theory, that's the theory should be able to walk in and say, I want to see the specimens XXX in your basement. And that should apply to everything in their collections, right? You can take a look at everything mm. in their collections. That being said, that's not usually what happens, all right? They can block you for whatever reasons. The, the most common reason is, oh, we're, we're scheduled out. We can't do it. You have, to, you have to make a request a year in advance, and it goes. we're trying to get into the uh, British Museum right now to see some archaeological artifacts. And they're saying, well... You know, we're a year out on visitation. We have to go through the board, has to qualify your, your research approval. You know, you have to know somebody in the museum that's part of this thing that can okay you and all this stuff. So just because it gets into a museum somewhere, we should have access to it does not mean we will. Mm -hmm. Tom, it's your lucky day. It just so happens I have connections to the House of Lords. We'll get it done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I counting on your really like point the of the spear, man. That's true, <laughs> but You're the I can't point guarantee you take it. all the heat too. So <laughs> I take I take all the incoming. It's just the way I roll. It's I'm uh, I'm I'm Teflon Eric at this point. So, <laughs> I mean that I'm does seem to be the best, rated. best I'm avenue. Keep, I'm keeping it G rated per Ryan's request because this is a family friendly uh, podcast here. So yes, <laughs> correct. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yes, no no bad language here, gentlemen. So but, let's let's talk about some pie par tie particles yes. here. So. Yeah. I want yeah, to talk about, about some. I want to get in the weeds here. Um, share share my screen. Okay. Okay. Every how many people we got online right now? Uh, just nine. Well, it, it's funky, but it says nineteen. I'm, I'm sure we have a lot, a lot more than that. And, and this is going to be permanent too. So this is a permanent YouTube. Anybody okay. can see this forever. Well, I want to I want to get into a few details here because as these subjects come up, right? With the subject came up as. Are there two particles together on the tie, and can that create a false image? Okay, so this is one particle, right? This is, you know, like two blood cells wide. And every color you see in here is a different element. And this is a bunch of, like, coagulated particles. So each particle, I don't have the, the regular image uh, from it right offhand, but each of these little dots is an individual particle, and they're all clustered together. So you would read them all as a collection of elements that would look like it was a big alloy thing, but it's not. And if you see it, there's a huge variety of colors. There's probably 10 different things in here if you look close. Uh, it is a very strange concoction of particles. And this is the kind of thing that you have to be very, very careful of. And there was the discussion as, well, it was Macron, so therefore it's got to be pristine research, right? 
the devil's in the details, right? Macron is is a top flight lab. Absolutely no question about it. But you're only as good as your instrument, right? You're only as good as your instrument. And there's only one instrument that does this kind of automatic scan, find, and analyze. And the instrument is the cheapest electron microscope on the market. It's so cheap that when one broke, they, they gave me it. I took it home in pieces. They gave it to me just to get rid of it because they were going to throw it out in the garbage. All right? I never was able to make it work. But don't think that because Macron said it, that automatically means it's great. The, the stuff that they used to automatically find this stuff was the low ball equipment. So the instrument that does the uh, elemental analysis on this thing, I have a better one on my SEM. And you're dealing with how much time it takes to count up x-rays coming off of a particle. So you can't count one x-ray and tell what the thing is. You got to, I literally get 10,000 x-ray counts per second. And in order to do that aluminum at high resolution that you saw after the fact when Tim was asking for high-res stuff, I did like two or three hours of integration, 10,000 counts uh, a second, in order to be able to get a high-res known good spectrum of that of those aluminum particles. And that was for one aluminum particle. So mm -hmm. when they're doing this scan, it took... I believe a couple of days to get through all these particles. They don't spend an hour on each particle, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty. I, they probably give it five or 10 or 20 seconds, maybe at the most per particle. So we cannot go by what's in the, at the list. If you find something into the list, we got to look at it. We got to go take a look. We got to do one of these things and see, right. And that's the problem. This, this thing exemplifies the problem. Right? I wanted to get that out there as, you know, a fact. Mm -hmm comments <laughs> um so let me just let's just boil this down to layman's terms how reliable is the crone on the face as far as you know basically like let me just put it this way i assume that you wouldn't dispute the following and that is that macrone and the particles that Macron discovered on the tie, 105,000 of them, even though there may be some disparity with respect to balances and certain things roving lap or whatever, the, at the end of the day, we can still assert with a relative uh, high degree of certainty that these are consistent with uh, aerospace, chemical, a pretty unique and sophisticated field. Is that, is that fair to say? So yes, that, that's very fair to say. So when, when you're looking at one particle, the uncertainty is very high, right? You know, what the, let me let me talk, let me speak first to each particle. If does it have iron in it, does it have aluminum in it? Very reliable, right? The mm -hmm. so you know that atoms get bigger in size. The bigger in size, the easier they are to detect. So heavier things, lead, iron, things like that, much easier to detect in a short period of time and very reliable. As you get down toward carbon and lithium and things like that, where the atom is very small, it's much harder to detect because it's a smaller cross-section. I, I try not to get too far in the weeds here, but mm -hmm. there are some elements that are much more detectable than others. Most of those ones are the ones we're interested in, right? Metallic stuff like you would find in manufacturing. Other weird things that are lower down on the list, on the atomic list, are harder to detect and would be less reliable. Now, the overlap problem, there's a bunch of overlap problems. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. you get a situation like with antimony, it's only a single peak and it overlaps with calcium in that case. And there's no other peaks to sort it out. Titanium, there's also an overlap, but there's a little tiny peak, a little secondary peak that will allow us to sort it out. So Chris was saying, well, I want to talk to Tom about what can we look at with no overlaps. It's a very particular case-by-case basis. What would you? It's easier for you to say, I want to look into aluminum, what's the overlaps? And then we could figure out how reliable that is. Then for me to say, you could look at all these things and there probably won't be any overlap. So we, we are really getting into the analytical weeds here when we're trying to do this. And I appreciate that everybody's kind of interested in listening. I try not to go into this level of detail, but we have to now because you guys are spending a lot of time. We're spending a lot of effort going in here. So like I told you, Eric, last, last year, I said, you know, I don't have an, my, my instrument was down uh, a year and a half ago, and I couldn't go into any kind of depth to figure stuff out. So let's try and look at the particles first before we take a deep dive into what they are. Let's try and find out all the ins and outs and pros and cons of a particular particle. Yeah, yeah. So, well, having said that, let's let's go specifically to the titanium and antimony, the three titanium and antimony particles. You made a very compelling presentation at CooperCon saying that, you know, antimony is often, uh, well, I don't know if often is the word, but antimony could be confused, uh, rather calcium could be for could be confused as being antimony. And calcium is 99 times more prevalent in nature than antimony. Therefore, uh, as a matter of uh, protocol, science defaults to the more common uh, particle. You'd say it's it's more likely yeah. to be calcium. So, so on, uh, on but thing, you've heard my argument. You've heard my argument. I presume yeah. uh, pushing back on that. Uh, am I full of? Uh, baloney or uh no we're, we're talking we're having we're having a statistical argument here right okay. so if it's one in a hundred you know it's it's one in a t- 10 bazillion that you're going to win a lottery but somebody does win the lottery right yeah so that's one of those arguments is is the is the art is the lottery impossible to win statistically looking at the big picture yes it's like impossible to win statistically does yes. it occur yes it does occur so in the case of this scenario here if you were being judged on a scientific panel and they said, you know, is it more likely that it's calcium? The panel would say yes. Would there be a, a somebody holding out saying, well, given the fact that all these other metals, all the other stuff on the tie is coming from a metallurgical industry, antimony we know is part of that metallurgical titanium industry. Therefore, Eric could have a case. You know, it's, you can't rule it out completely. So, yes, you can't say there is a chance that it's antimony titanium on the tie. Uh, you would have to then look at a second line of evidence, right? Or you'd have to go to electron microprobe. There's a couple of things that can sort these things out, not easily available to any of us. Uh, and especially since we can't find the damn particle on the tie, it's a problem. So, so yes, you are not wrong in saying that, but statistically, people would argue against you. Okay, but then let me, because, uh, you know, I love statistics. That's kind of my field. <laughs> Let me, uh, I don't know if you heard my argument about the fact that we have three particles and that we have only three particles, not a hundred to choose from three. And all three are consistent in terms of that 17% antimony relative to the titanium balance. And statistically, 
If you're going to argue that there's sort of overlap or it's random or whatever the deal may happen to be, to have three, all three particles mathematically line up like that is 99 to the third power, which as you know is one in 970,260 or something very close to that, literally one in a million. So how do you push back from that? Again, if we had an isolated lone particle, that's one thing, fair enough. But when you have three from two different stubs, so we not, know it's not the same particle we're looking at, and we got three separate particles and all three are consistent, TI versus SB, right. how do you, how only do you, how do you overcome those odds? So the, the problem would be there is that if it's from, so we, we have, I'm going to get in the weeds again here. We have not dove into the match problem. There is a problem with matches, like like the matches he uses to light his cigarettes, right? This is a huge mm -hmm. problem. Matches have a huge variety of things in them. Titanium being one of the more common things that you find in matches. Plus all kinds of other things. Calcium would be a thing you would find in matches. So titanium and calcium would be found in matches. If you analyze the match head by itself, you could sort out the titanium because it would have oxygen in it. And you know that it's titanium oxide. All right, it's not mm -hmm. titanium metal. But once you light that match and you, you get that flame going, there's no oxygen in the flame and everything on that match head is turning into molten stuff. Right? We were misled on the bathtub particle. It's on the Citizen Sleuth website. There's a particle that looks like a bathtub. It's ugly looking. It doesn't look like a piece of metal. And we originally thought that this is a piece of titanium that's got kind of weird bubbly stuff on it. Now my thought is that that is titanium powder that was on a match head that went molten and then solidified in the flame out of the oxygen and now looks elementally like titanium metal, but it's really not. So you see the problem. So if you say, mm -hmm. okay, you've got titanium and antimony, very rare percentage particles, yes, rare. But if I say, well, there's a lot of titanium on the tie, which there is, and that's coming from matches, and matches have a lot of calcium along with them, you're, you're, you're creating molten stuff in the, inside the flame. And now you could get a combination of calcium and titanium on the tie. And if you go look for all the calcium titanium things, you may find a whole lot of particles. See what I'm saying? If you didn't search, you're searching for antimony only. If we search for titanium, and maybe Chris is doing that right now, look for calcium titanium and see if there's a lot of other matching particle sets. And your three particles got identified or misidentified as, uh, uh, as uh, SB, antimony. Now you can see how this could happen. So we're, we're looking through a fairly small portal at this antimony size. But if it's calcium, there could be a lot more on there. Don't know. If, I'm, if you don't see a lot of calcium, leans way toward your thing. Not saying you're wrong, but that's how you go against it. But I'm have, still not understanding something here, Tom, because you strike a match and it, and it, and it burns. And, and it burns relatively randomly, uh, presumably what it ends up. And at the end of it, so the final product is going to be probably vary from match head to match head. Fair enough. But the problem I'm still having, and, and, and maybe it's just because I've had a couple scotches tonight or whatever, but I don't think so. The problem I'm having is that at the end of the day, regardless of what you're talking about, throwing darts at a board, buying lottery tickets, or striking a match, random, randomness plays a part, of course. 
And when you have 105,000 particles and three particles only, only three with the two elements that equal roughly 100%, for those same two elements to be mathematically balanced of only three particles are literally a million to one. And that is what we have here with the titanium and ant the three titanium and antimony particles. So I'm having a really hard time understanding. I, I get the, you know, the match and you strike it in the, you know, titanium oxide and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, there was no oxygen measured in any three in any of these right. three particles. But I'm still just as a matter of random fate. Like that is an enormous coincidence. It's possible. But it's an enormous coincidence. I mean, am I am I wrong about that? If you're or? looking at antimony, if you know for sure, it's I'm antimony. looking at the balance of antimony to titanium, which are the two primary elements here, because you've got some nickel and stuff, which you kind of have to discount. But I mean, antimony is coming up to 17 percent on all three, and there's only three there. Right, but if if we knew there were a hundred particles, and they range from titanium and calcium to 30% calcium to 10% mm -hmm. calcium and all through the range. Yeah. You know, we don't know if there's an affinity for those two things to stick together in a molten flame. That's what we I was wondering is if there's like 17%, if there's 17% titanium and whatever percent calcium elements on the tie, are there? I mean, we don't yeah. know. Nobody's yeah. looked. We haven't taken this approach of looking yet. Right. And, and the other thing is I can improve your odds even more because you, you don't have to look at the 100,000 particles on the tie like you're using for the statistical thing. It's only the titanium particles on the tie that would be mm -hmm. part of your statistical analysis. What's the odds on, on all the titanium particles on the tie, three of them coming up with either uh, the antimony at 17%. So the odds are probably even higher than that. So I agree. It's weird. It's weird. You have a good point. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. immediately refute it. I can say that we have to look at the bigger picture and see what the calcium-titanium ratios look like. Because we could mm -hmm. be, yeah. you know, if it was if it was titanium to calcium, would it look really weird that there's 17%? You know, maybe not if there's a lot of them that are in that kind of range. Did I miss where we discussed if titanium is ever with calcium? I mean, is that ever a thing? You you just garbled. I didn't I didn't hear what you said. I was asking if, 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 do we have, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess I've missed it. I've been busy, I suppose. But if, have we reached, I mean, is titanium ever mixed with calcium? It would be in a match head, but not not in a metal. Yeah. Okay. So match heads could mess us up here. We could get all kinds of things off these. We have a, I have a database from the FBI. I'm not supposed to give it out. That has analysis of a hundred different match heads. It is a nightmare. It is a, because we originally looked at this database trying to say, okay, can we sort out what all the match heads are on the tie? Because all the match particles, there is probably 70% of the particles on the tie are matches, are from matches. And this mm -hmm. database we've got is a nightmare. You think the 100,000 particles is bad. This is way worse. So, I don't, Chris, you want to take a shot at it? I, I, I can talk, I can work with you on that. <laughs> but I'm not going to spend my next three years trying to sort that out. Yeah. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> yeah. It, it gets in the yep. weeds here, guys. This is this is not easy stuff. You know, science is not as precise as everybody would like to think, especially mm -hmm. what we're doing here. And, and I think it's important to note, as you said, Tom, and I, and I think we talked a little bit about it on the Facebook Live earlier, is that these aren't 
absolutely precise. There is contamination. There is variance with respect to the equipment measuring based upon angles and things like that. So it's a little bit rough. Maybe that's a little too strong of a term, but the data is a little rough. It has a little bit of contamination kind of thrown in the mix to make it that much harder. Uh, so, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's all we got to work with. And, and it, it seems to me reliable. that it, yes, I was going to just say it's yeah. pretty good nonetheless. It, it's pretty good. You, you don't want to discount the whole thing off. If it says it's aluminum in there, yeah, probably got aluminum in there, right? If it says it's 50% aluminum, it could be 60%. It could be 40%. So the proportions, I wouldn't put a lot of weight on within five or 10% probably is pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, so you can count on the fact if it says aluminum, it is. If it's some exotic metal that you haven't seen before, then you got to start looking into it. Uh, but the, yeah. the weight, you know, how much the percentages would be the thing that's the most off. Let's, I mean, I realize this is Ryan's show. No, but... no, this is your show, right? To the... <laughs> no, no, no. This is, this he is just knew what deal. he was doing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a facilitator. So, yes. No, it's, that's not true. So let, let, let's shift gears here. Let's talk about this DNA a little bit, Tom, because... Uh, and of course, you and I have talked about this kind of pr privately, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about, like, for example, the tie? Because I know you applied sticky stubs and vacuum and, and some other things to the tie and you pulled off some particles from the tie. So certainly D.B. Cooper's DNA was part of that. Now it's been 52 years, obviously there's some degradation and all that type of stuff that's taken place and many different people touched the tie, breathed on it, all that kind of stuff over 52 plus years. But having said that, how feasible is it in your mind to take, for example, uh, a group of particles that were pulled from the front of the tie, the tie knot ideally, and have it submitted and try to splice out the DNA and figure out the separate DNA profiles? How feasible feasible is that in your mind so uh is it possible absolutely can we do it from our position in the world right now very unlikely very unlikely so when when you're dealing with a crime scene you know there's going to be a, a big dna signal from whoever the criminal was that you're going after you know if we had the cigarette butts they would open up the filter and certainly it would be 99 percent cooper dna in there but when you're talking about, you know, just a, a skin cell and trying to pick up something off that, well, there's most of the dust in your house is skin cells, right? Most people don't know that. <laughs> so there's a, there's a ton of skin cells around and I see them all the time on an electron microscope. The problem is when when this this these labs will extract the DNA, it's the easiest to extract the most complete and the most abundant. So most complete, most abundant. And that's what happened on the thing with the, your documentary here. When they, when they put mm -hmm. the filter in the system, they came out with the most abundant, cleanest hit, which happened to be me. <laughs> Cooper, <laughs> Cooper is going to be 50 years degraded, like you said, right? His the DNA actually fragments into other pieces. It breaks down into pieces. So the yeah. idea that 50 years later, you're going to get a complete, clean, super, you know, count of, of Cooper's DNA is 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 uh, it's going to be rough. I'm not saying it's impossible, but we know it's way worse than mine, 
or Alan Stones or Carol Abrazinskis or Larry's car DNA, which is all sitting there right next to him. You know, we're complete strings, and there's a bunch of little other strings laying around from Cooper and everybody else that's ever been in the parachute or anything else. You have to figure out a way to make those little bitty strings into complete strings if you want to get a complete sequence that's going to tell you a lot. Now, mm -hmm. can you do that? Yes, it's possible. And I happen to know it's possible because I have good friends that are in the ancient DNA business. They're trying to currently bring back the passenger pigeon. Personal friend of mine, his project, bring back the passenger pigeon. And he is fighting an uphill battle, and he's got dead passenger pigeons to work with. Right. <laughs> he's got yeah. dead passenger pigeons. So, so he's I got multiple samples. He's got multiple samples yes. of the passenger pigeon. Okay. Yes. And he says it's going to take probably a hundred generations of him breeding pigeons to bring back the passenger pigeon. God. And he said, that's why the mastodon thing is not going to happen. He said, they don't breed fast enough mm. for them to work through the DNA. You, you don't take the DNA and there's no complete profile. You can't take the complete profile, stick it in an egg and come out with a passenger pigeon. So what you've got to do is work the profile segments into modern DNA and kind of push all the other, push the modern DNA out. And hopefully you end up with a complete sequence of older dna with the little gaps filled in with modern dna you can kind of understand how that would happen and it yep. doesn't happen mm -hmm. all at once so what we yeah. did one time is I've, i was involved in a huge argument about whether or not there was organic tissues from dinosaurs preserved in the bones and i was arguing it was bacteria everybody said no it's not it's it's thing if you google it you'll see it's still around on the internet so I hooked up with this, my friend Ben, who's doing the passenger pigeon. And what he did with his group was we took some dinosaur bone and we put it in, in the grinder, we called it. And we took that dinosaur bone and poured the whole dinosaur bone into this machine. And it reassembled the DNA from all the DNA that's in there. Bacteria, worms, birds, fish, everything that's in there, it would reassemble it. It's called metagenomics. So as you Whoa. can imagine, if if you cut up a book, all right, if you, you're not cutting up one book, you're cutting up a bunch of the same book randomly. You make random cuts in this thing. You can piece sentences together based on the overlap, all right? If you see a mm -hmm. sentence that overlaps with another sentence, you can eventually piece the whole book back together. That's what this machine does. It pieces overlapping segments of DNA that match, and they go by templates and stuff. They kind of, kind of, I don't know all the details, not my field, but you can understand what I'm saying. They can mm -hmm. reassemble the DNA based on overlapping sequences, and they can get most of a sequence back. Now, Cooper's DNA is going to be busted up like that, and this is the way to put Cooper's DNA back together and end up with something we can read that's substantial enough that we can do some, you know, our, our, um, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, what do they call it, the uh, genealogy, genealogy stuff. Yeah, what I don't want to do forensic yeah. genealogy, forensic genealogy. What I don't want to do is give up the only samples we have that I have of, of Cooper's DNA and waste them on a single hit. We're going to find whoever's the best DNA on this thing. And that's going to be Cooper. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And I'll announce now that I have got sticky tape like scotch tape that I've taken off of Cooper's tie. They've been in plastic boxes since we did it. And I'm willing to donate one of those to Pat or her group or whoever can come up with a, a DNA team that will guarantee we're going to get more than five sequences off that tape. Because if they don't come up with five, you're going to get me, Carol, Alan, you know, whatever. You're only going to get the five guys that last touched that thing. And we all know who mm -hmm. those were when it comes to the tie. 
Even yeah. even Brian might be on there, right? So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which will completely yeah. convict his father. We knew he was involved. <laughs> we knew, we knew. Oh, exactly. <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the, I mean, but I, I, I'll interject here that the problem I've always had with the tie is that, you know, once we get into the FBI files now, my God, we see that that thing, I mean, they put that thing in the mail, like in the regular mail, like, and just sent it back and forth. I mean, you know, when they were investigating a suspect in, in LA in 74, they put it in the mail and shipped it over to LA uh, because they because LA wanted to show it to the ex-wife of this person, right? And say, it was just his tie or whatever, right? And um, it ended up sitting, I mean, they had it for like four months. We have where, we have where LA received it, the LA office of the FBI received it. And then they did. And then, then the next thing is they go and talk to this guy's ex-wife and she goes, I've never seen that before in my life, like four or five months later. So, I mean, they let it just sit in their office, just sitting there, I'm guessing, you know, for four or five months. And then they put it back in an envelope and send it back to, 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 uh, to Seattle and I mean, you know, you know how unimportant you're making me feel at this point, right? Like you're talking about this thing getting tossed around in the mail. I'm literally filing suit in federal court to get access for a few minutes. And the judge says, no, I, have. I mean, it's unbelievable how yeah. ridiculous this has gotten. They were very flippant with it. I mean, you know, like I said, I actually counted up for, for my book. I counted up the, the number of times, at least in the files that we've, that we've seen. I'm sure it's more. But I mean, they sent it first to, let's see. So this is the sequence of it for those who would be interested. In, and if I can do this off memory, I, I'm I, I'm kind of a, I'm a Cooper weirdo, so I'm, I might can do this. But I'm pretty sure, okay, so they, so they get it off the plane in Reno. It goes to Vegas. Okay, Vegas Vegas uh, agents take it to the local pennies there in Vegas and say, "Hey, uh, what is this?" And those agents say, "Hey, this is a tie. You know, we don't we don't sell these anymore. They're for busboys or whatever. You know, what yada yada. All that stuff what we've seen, right?" Then they put it in the mail to Portland. Portland shows it to their local pennies. They take it and take it to pennies and say, "Hey, did, you know, who would have bought this tie recently or whatever? You know," and they go, "Well, we haven't sold those in a couple of years." Okay. Then they sent it to Seattle, and Seattle does the same thing, okay? Then Seattle sits on it for a few months. Then they put it in a in mail to the crime lab, send it across the country to look for fluids, okay? Because apparently, I mean, they could back then. They did have the technology. This was kind of news to me, but they did, they did have the technology to lift blood samples and be able to, 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 to tell what type of blood the person had, right? So if there had been saliva or blood on the tie that they had seen that they could have lifted back then, they could have tested it and determined what blood type the person had, I guess, if it was blood on it. But no fluids on the tie. Um, so they sent it back to, you know, back to uh, uh, Seattle. Then in 74, Seattle sends it to L.A. L.A. sends it back to Seattle. Then uh, in then there's a, nothing happens to it. And then in 2001, I think, R Ralph Hope has it sent back to the crime lab. For, for the DNA testing, right? Uh, and then they did the DNA testing, and then they sent it back to Seattle. And then, you know, the next thing we know, Larry's handling it on, you know, Brian Ingram's, I think uh, uh, Brian told me on the phone today that, um, that, he, um, that he handled the tie with you guys. So Brian was there too. Tom, you may have forgotten that. But oh, Brian, that's what I just said. Brian's DNA is probably on there too. No, I okay, said you that. mentioned Brian yourself. Yeah, 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 Brian. So, yeah, I mean, this thing's been back and forth. A lot. So you got to get 14. If you want to have any chance, you got to 10 or 12 DNA things to get rid of all these people. Right. You know, all we all got to go get uh, DNA tested. 
let's let's talk about something while we while we're on the subject of this let's kind of get into something that's actually really kind of cool with this tom settle this once and for all did you guys secretly disassemble the tie knot we tried <laughs> we tried we they could tr not. tried is uh that that's like a lawyer's word no no <laughs> I'm, I'm not being a lawyer you know me you know me i'm straight up man if I could have, so I would have. What happened? Did you disassemble it? So we realized that inside the tie knot, there would be skin flakes and stuff from, from Cooper, right? We were on this. We were on this. This was trip one, the first trip. So we thought, okay, we've got to, we've got to like scrape, scrape something out of the knot. So I looked at the knot very closely, and the, uh, the, the pin that you're interested in on the back it has it's being held together by it's it's uh, it's like a washer that only goes on one way it's the best way to describe it so it presses on easily but you can't get it off and i looked at that i thought you know i could get this off if i had a pliers but i knew i'd destroy it getting it off right so i said okay we got to leave this alone so we said okay we've got to scrape the tie to see if we can get some stuff out of it so we had a little probe and stuff like this so we went to the corner of the room Right. We all went, we went to the very corner. It would probably look really weird on the cameras. They had us on camera 24 seven. Right. So we all piled into the corner of the room. We're trying to not let any, any stuff come in. Right. And we got the tie like this and Al's holding the little box and I'm scraping stuff out of here. Larry's looking over it too. Right. He's like, thinking, I mean, we're going to get something out of here. So uh, yeah, we tried really hard to get something out of the tie. And then when we went back to do the second test years later, we, we used the vacuum in the knot, you know, and that's where the filters. came. Okay. From. Yeah. So hold on a second, Tom, because this is Ryan's show. We're going to make this. This is going to be news breaking and exciting here. This is going to be we're giving the Kardashians a run for the money. Here. So you're telling me that you didn't actually disassemble the tie knot. You tried, but you didn't because you didn't have pliers. But you I didn't try it. Broken. I looked at it. Yeah. Okay. I asked this very same question to Jeffrey Gray, and Jeffrey Gray said that yes, the tie was disassembled. One of you ain't telling the truth. What's going oh, on? Go ask Al. Go ask. Go ask Carol. Go ask Larry. Larry was there. Ask Larry. You're go drinking with Larry and ask. Larry's... Get him drunk, and then he'll give you the straight story. <laughs> Larry's an FBI guy. You know it's not going to be. It's going to be like the company line. Of course they didn't disassemble the he time. Was, he was. You know. You, I don't think you could put it. I don't think you could put that thing back together. Right. Look. Well, you look. I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you right now. You go look okay. at the pictures of the tie, right? Yes, and try very and find some it's more very tightly clasped. It's very tightly clasped, and you look to see if that that uh, that ring on the back that that goes on one way is still intact. If it's intact, yes. then you know I didn't take it apart and put it back together again. <laughs> so Jeffrey Gray is embellishing to make it sound like oh, the media you guys got it. The author is embellishing <laughs> the media. Oh, so, so we we th this is a matter that's been finally settled. The tie was not disassembled. You you kind of looked at it, you probed, and it didn't work. But you nonetheless you did probe the tie. But the tie knot has not been disassembled. Been so that is if, if, that is now if official. I had, if I had the disassembled record. it, I would have taken pictures of it. Yeah, yeah. Right. I have pictures of everything else that we did. Right. You saw the whole thing. Yeah. Pictures from everything going on. If I took that thing apart, I would absolutely have pictures of it. But I why would you did. do that if you're like in the corner of the room hiding from the camera? Like why? No, would we were you doing that because we were scraping it. And we didn't want to get any dust in there along from the vents. It was the air conditioning was blowing constantly at that point. 
Oh, that's it sounds like a hot mess, but okay, okay. Well, that's that's that that's actually new pertinent information, yeah. and it's worth uh, if fifty years from now people are still trying to figure out the case and we're all dead and gone. Maybe Ryan's gonna be still alive because he's young enough. Uh, they're gonna be looking at this thing, debating whether the tie knot was taken apart, and they're gonna be able to look at this conversation and say, you know what? It was not taken apart. They looked at it. It wasn't taken apart. So if we could actually disassemble it now in the year 2171 or whatever it is, you know, maybe there's something in there. There has to be skin, a ton of skin particles in there. If you could give me, you could get, if you could, if you could undo that tie knot and get a sample out of the middle of that, especially if you did somebody reputable, I would say, okay, send it to anybody you want. They'll get a clean Cooper uh, profile. So Tom. Interesting. Oh, oh. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, a lot of people don't are surprised about is that, you know, the other sources of DNA um, potentially are the shroud lines, right? I mean, because we have to think about what did Cooper touch? We know yeah. he touched the boarding pass, but that thing has been, that thing's way pa been passed around a lot. Um, I know that because it's, I mean, even the FBI said that in the, in the files, the FBI tried to fingerprint his boarding pass and they're like, this thing's been touched by everybody and anybody. There's too yeah. many fingerprints on it. So there's probably too much, you know, but the shroud lines though, to cut through the shroud lines, you know, Cooper had to grip, you know, the shroud lines to cut, to get enough tension to cut, I would suspect. Right. And so that's going to be pulling off skin cells, just doing that. Yep. Right. Yep. And so, and, and I don't think the, I don't think that, I don't think, I don't think that, 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 that cannibalized parachute is, has been nearly passed around as much as like the tie would be right that thing probably oh, did sit in a box for I, most of the time mine's on there carol's on there alan's on there we all picked up the knots and we're looking at the knots and right. the whole thing right so that's all still on there carol counted right. all the shroud lines and there was some missing more than there was told in the uh, 302s It was about 90 feet you said right was what you uh, whatever carol said i wasn't you know carol did it and she was being uh, very thorough about it i think it's it's yeah. on our website somewhere yeah i think i think it's but, about 90 feet yeah which is so, what yes, the talking. shroud lines are good. If I was going to approach the shroud lines, I'd do a DNA sample for every shroud line. Yeah. All right. If you did a DNA sample on every shroud line, hopefully there's one that overlaps on all of them, and that would be most likely your Cooper guy. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a question here, Tom. Uh, somebody said, uh, could you ask, Tom, if the huge amount of salt on Cooper's tie could come from the salt trucks that drop salt where it snows? Um, good question. Don't know never analyzed the salt against the salt uh, on his tie. We do know that from the family tree we did that the, the, the common salts you get at the, the, the supermarket do not match the salt right. on the tie. Now, it's my understanding uh, that, that in metallurgy, they do use salt as a, well, yeah. I, I don't know what the term is, but a mixer or yeah, something. Salts or... come up all the time in all kinds of processes. And there's well, and salt especially... being used in the, in the hunter, hunter process and making the, titanium that's what the hunter process it. yeah that's what it was and also for example uh just doing which is what vincent peterson did was corrosive testing you know because these are planes flying over salt seas and things and yeah. you know that they have to test uh you know you know, do these metals corrode with salt or whatever so i mean i think salt is a big deal i think so in, somebody in, could in, do in, that research you don't need instrumentation to do that research now because we know what the elemental breakdown is of the of the salt uh, from the tie, so you could go look. They they would have elemental breakdowns of all the salts wherever they're used. So somebody could just go do a little history search. Eric's I see Eric's perking right up here right now. Wait, wait but hold but hold on a second, Tom, because this, I've thought about this very thing, and I and I'm surprised you're saying this because I've never seen it. Where 
where is there a precise elemental breakdown for the salt? I've never seen I've got anything. It. I've, I've got it. I've got it in my, I don't think I, I don't think it's published on the website, but I have it. I have, I, we have, we have elemental signatures on a bunch of the salt particles. Then, so in what form is it in this data? Same as all the other stuff, all the other ele elemental forms. So, you, so I can, so you can send this to me. Yeah. Because uh, that's actually really, really important. I mean, that's critical. I didn't, I, I've wondered about that, but I'm like, well, I mean, I guess no specific analysis has been done of the grains of salt, but I also figured those salt as well is obviously is going to be on the carbon stubs. But if you can send me those, uh, if you can send me some of that elemental analysis, uh, I will run that by uh, crucible and, uh, and let's just see what we come up with. Because I would love to see if there's some sort of match, or perhaps there is no match that can be derived between, uh, you know, the, the the hot salt stress corrosion testing and in, in, in what was found on the tie. Yeah, no, so. we can do that. So just so you guys all know, and the, and the audience knows too, whenever you see any of my family tree stuff, you know, I've showed family trees a lot. Um, anytime you have uh, one thing, one particle being compared to another, you had to have an elemental spectrum about it. Right. So everything you see on my 700 particle family tree has got a good uh, uh, spectral analysis connected with it. The same as all the Macron stuff has got a spectral hmm. analysis. Macron only goes deep into three particles. Uh, my stuff would generally be a, a little more refined than that. But yeah, just so you know. That's beautiful. That's really, really valuable, Tom. That's like, I, like I, I'm, I'm learning something huge right here. This is huge. This yeah. is really, really big. Because, I mean, I've had this discussion with, you know, the Department of Transportation with the state of Connecticut on this type of salt they use, comes from Chile. I, I, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff, having no idea that you actually had this analysis. Yeah. So this is great. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to have the D.B. Cooper case solved within a month. All right. Knock it out. <laughs> Knock it out, Eric. Knock it out of the park, man. I just, I'm teasing. I'm, I'm kidding. So. I'm right behind it. <laughs> No, because, you know, curiously, the, this, this, the Cooper salt uh, came out matching or very close match or a closer match to the titanium processing salt, right? Which it, I, it's the back of my head. I, I can't un, unstick it from the RMI. idea that uh, Cooper had something to do with RMI. Yeah, exactly. RMI yeah. is the one that did the, the, uh, the Hunter process, and they used um, sodium and, uh, and uh, that turns sodium chloride Mac is what e came out. Yeah. So yeah. if you can find a match on that, even if you can eliminate all the road, road salts, road salts, if, I don't know if they come from Chile, but if you if there's a common thing that they use for road salts, I think it's got magnesium in it. Um, then we could eliminate, nice to eliminate road salt. Didn't do that in my initial investigation. Okay. To Tom, we have a, a question here. I'm going to put it up there. It says, I'm a complete nobody, but the particles for match strikes seem fairly implausible to me i understand it creates doubt but it sounds like db cooper would have had to strike like five hundred thousand matches near it that doesn't i'm, I'm is that that's wrong right or well maybe each each match will produce hundreds of particles yeah right each right. match will produce hundreds of how many matches in a book 20 yes let's say 20 yeah. that's two thousand particles per match book and you know these guys that chain smoke back then would i'm sure they go through a book every day or two Oh, God. Yeah, like, so I mean, in, inside of a year, you could get, yeah. let's say, I don't know, 50, 50 match. That's 2,000 times 50 is 100,000 particles on the tie. A lot of Raleigh coupons, too. 
That's yeah. a lot of so yeah, you could easily get a lot of particles. Well, particles are match particles are a big enough deal that the FBI did a big study on it and analyzed a ton of different matches, trying to be able to match up to what type of stuff was what. Wow. So and, that's hey, how big a deal it is. Tom, I'm not sure if you saw the post today that I made on the Facebook group about this Dr. James Roman character. Um who was an interesting, very interesting individual. Uh, he was a medical, he was a NASA medical researcher, later became an MD. Oh, I did, I did see that one. Yeah, yes, later, I saw that one. Yeah, later he killed his wife's lover, killed him, killed her, and then killed himself. Um, you know, when the FBI showed up to his house outside Washougal in 1980, you know, he killed himself. And, and but, the, but the sheriff's department found dynamite and blasting caps and forgery documents and all these creepy things buried in his barn, right? of this house he built in 72, you know, after being a resident and I know residents don't make any money at all. It's my understanding. Um, but the question I was asking, like, you know, this guy worked with NASA and he worked at air force bases and things like this throughout the sixties. Um, is there any, you know, is there any possibility that the tie, the tie particles could come from NASA type? I mean, it is aerospace, right? I, I don't know. Were they using aluminum? Uh, were they using titanium in in the air in the uh, space stuff? Was the space I, I industry mean, using titanium? I would, think, I would think. I would imagine so, right? I mean, I, maybe not. I mean, that's a good question. Uh, maybe because they usually use leading edge stuff. You know, that's typical yeah. I mean, I would NASA think that the, uh, surely if like the Concorde had titanium, then surely the friggin' yeah. lunar the military was using it. So they had a pretty good database on it at that point. So I would think that they would be using it, but I don't ever remember. You know, in I don't ever remember hearing titanium discussed as part of a space thing, any kind of thing. What about medical equipment back then? Anything titanium related there? I, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of titanium used like in joints and stuff today. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I doubt I doubt it would have been that far developed back then. And prosthetics and stuff were not a thing in the 1970s. Yeah, not the way that we think of it. And that, that is the thing about the titanium that folks don't realize is that titanium is rather ubiquitous these days. But yeah, back then it just yeah, wasn't. You can't compare it. Yeah, it's Very not comparable. Rare. That's our, our biggest break was that titanium leaf spring looking thing. That was a huge break. What, the know? bathtub particle? No, the one that looks like a leaf spring. It's a long, it's a long skinny thing. It looks like a, I, I call it a leaf spring. It's got layers in it. Okay. Uh, but you're you're on, talking about the bar. bar. Looks the like a bar, bar. yeah. Yeah, yeah, square up different different layers almost like it's yeah like it's literally layered like a yeah. coating or something kind of weird yeah yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah i should i should take another look at that one under my better microscope down under my better sem uh it may show better those layers my, now what about the, the now, layers would tell us something what about the gold on the tie you know that i mean oh yeah glad good. we should talk about it. everybody hanging in here we still got we still got oh yeah we have 31 water. and, and oh, we have yeah. infinity and no. beyond Gold thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll back Eric up a little bit here. He says, okay, the tie clip, it was, it was spent a lot of time on the tie, right? That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. But, <laughs> it's always a but, the tie, there's a tie, tie pin hole that's got an indent around it that I think it was spent more time with a tie pin or a tie tack, they call them. They call them a tack or a yeah. pin. Tie tack, yeah. Tie tack. Titac, I think it spent more time with the Titac than it did with the clip that we know today. Now, we did find gold particles on the tie, right? And that's indicative because the, the, that uh, the tie clip is gold-plated. So if you take the little points of that alligator clip and stuff and you rub them against that, that tie, you'll wipe off gold particles on there. 
So I was not surprised to find gold. When we originally found it, I thought, oh, cool, gold. And then it occurred to me, oh, probably came off the tie clip. So, right. uh, yeah, the fact there are gold particles on there means that that tie clip didn't show up on there the day that Cooper jumped, right? They had to be a kind of a common part of the wardrobe to have enough gold particles on there that I was able to find them. But now Remember, I only find one or 2% of what's on there. But now that wouldn't come from the, now that, I mean, that, 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 the tie clip itself, I mean, those things were like sold for like $3. Those were really cheap. I mean, that yeah. wouldn't be real gold. I, I wouldn't think. It, I, it, I think it is real. Gold. I, it is I real. think it's gold plated. Yeah. Okay. You, I remember I brought mine and you actually analyzed it right there on the spot. It was like, it was like 14 karat gold or something. Remember yeah. we ran it through your machine. Yeah. I, I don't remember that by hand, because, but, but, <laughs> yeah. I, but if I did, I, I stand by my word, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I, yeah, for those who are listening, yeah. I, I visited Tom at his home in Sierra Vista, and I have the alligator tie clip, and we actually put it in the thing to the SEM to analyze it, and it took about five or ten minutes, as I recall, and it came back, and it was fourteen. It was like fourteen karat gold, yeah. uh, which surprised me because I was I, I wasn't sure, but it was actually it wasn't even ten karat. I recall it being like fourteen karat gold respectable yeah so that's yeah. correct yeah absolutely it is real gold plated 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 yeah, yeah. plated yeah yeah so that's all yeah. that's very normal that's very normal but yeah we should if we're looking at cooper pictures of cooper wearing a tie and i have i have one here where do i what do i do with that i have a great you know, of course i can't find it now um oh yeah here it is here uh share screen uh once again wait a minute all right copy uh, share my screen once again. This, I just gave a talk in my town library here last week. And this is the, the picture I used. And I said, oh, let me get back on the thing here. Can, can you see this? I said, yeah. this is D.B. Cooper, right? This is who I think D.B. Cooper is. If you look at this guy, he's in the shop. He's supervising some stuff going on with some metalworking stuff. He's wearing the white lab coat, and you can see that the lab coat's dirty. So he spends all his time out there, right? You know, he is not a stranger to this shop. He's not really super involved, but he's on top of whatever the hell's going on, and his tie is sticking out. <laughs> so in my mind, this is Cooper right here. This is Cooper. That 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 looks remarkably like Vince Peterson, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we do have yeah i mean we have the uh you know we have that footage um it's not rim crew but you know we have the footage and I, i've shown it often um of uh you know of these uh guys they're pulling ingots out of a fire you know these metallurgists and they have their 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 clip-on ties are right there right next to all these sparking material flying everywhere and it's like well but, you know, the, I think the thing that really was interesting was, Tom, where you said at, at, at CooperCon that the back, that the, that the thin part of the tie on the back had the most particles. Is that right? Or yeah. had the most? Uh, no, had the, had, the, just, had the grease stuff. Uh, kill, kill my share screen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the back part of the tie, the, in, the inner part of the tie had the smears on it, which was crazy. I, I was just thrown for such a loop on that. I couldn't believe it. I, the only thing I can think, and I said this to Cooper gun is that he had crap on his fingers and grabbed his tie and wiped his fingers off or something. Huh. I don't know. Again, I mean, it's, 
Let, every let me ask you this, Tom, about because we we're kind of going back about the TITAC hole. Uh, and I actually recently looked at it again, and there are two holes, what appear to be holes in the tie from a TITAC or something like it. And the larger hole to me doesn't look like a TITAC. It actually looks like a burn. It looks like a, an ember or something. And, and if you look at it, it just looks like it's sort of a cratered into the polyester and kind of melted in there. The other thing is if you measure the hole, it's three-eighths of an inch wide. It is a very wide hole. Uh, so, yes, it's three-eighths of an inch. So um, it's, it, it isn't near the center of the tie, which would sort of seem to indicate it was a tie tack. But just given the width and just the appearance, is how certain are you that that is a tie tack or is it possible that it's just a random ember from like for example what ryan dis discussed or maybe uh lighting a match head uh and and you know you have a random uh piece of the match head that just sort of lands in the middle middle of the tie there i mean are you are you certain it's a, a tie I'm, tack cer I'm, certain, I'm certain i am certain that it's i'm not certain <laughs> So okay. Because okay. uh, there are two of them. There's one that's much smaller, which I think could be a tie tack, tie pin hole or whatever. But the larger one, boy, that kind of looks I'm like a burn for, mark to me. I, you know, if it's that big, that is suspicious. Uh, yeah. I'm looking. I'm it looking is. for the pic. I'm looking for the UV picture offhand. I'm not finding it offhand. Uh, it would be Seattle trip two, Seattle 2011. Okay, hold on. I'll bring it up here. Uh, yeah okay so i want to bring it up and share screen here okay. all right share screen yep there we go yep so you know in looking at this let me get my screen back up so what i would say can you see can you see my cursor is my cursor yes. coming up on the screen yes yeah. okay yep. so you're saying this is one hole over here to the left right is that the one you're saying is the other hole that's correct yes okay and then this one you think is a burn mark well, it, it appears to be a burn mark because it looks like it plus is three eighths of an inch. And, and, and the way I know that is I actually counted the number of threads. You can you zoom in, you can actually count the threads wide. And uh, and I have a similar tie. So it, I came up with three eighths of an inch wide at its widest part. And it just looks like a, a, a hot ember kind of melted or cratered into it. You see what I'm saying? Like it's cindered kind of thing. You can see well, you can count it's, the it's threads. A, it's wide. a nylon tie, right? It's 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 not a cotton tie. Po it's well, an acrylic or, or is, is it acrylic? Po polyester. Uh, polyester, yeah. polyester. Okay, so sure, polyester yeah. should melt. So yes. polyester should melt like plastic. So this should be all plastic balls if it was heated up. Well, it looks like it has. It looks like something landed there and it kind of settled in and, and melted down a little bit. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it, obviously it's not a flame. It's like a little flame, but it, looks, it does look like something settled in there and kind of like created a a, a, a divot like on the on the moon or something. Where is that on the tie, actually? Like where on the tie? Where, where, it's where you'd expect it. If I, well, front center. Yeah. Front center did. Oh, because oh, oh, that might be the tie pin is what we're saying. If that's what that might be. Yeah, it's where it's kind of where you'd expect the tie pin to be. Let me see if I've got a complete uh, tie. Yeah, okay, here, I'll bring this. I think over you do, here. and you can actually see it. It's somewhere on there. I can't. 
off it's the top right. of my it's, head. It, it's right. I think it's right about here. I think that's it. Yeah. So it's kind of near the bottom, you, actually. And that's kind of well, beneath where a coat would cover it up. That well, is, that's it where is you'd beneath, expect a tie yeah. tack, though. You but, know, why, but why would you have a tie tack so low? Well, Omar, nobody could see it. What's the point? No, you're you're clipping the back. Good, that's a good argument, too. I don't know. Out. Yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, yeah, I, don't, I mean, but I, I thought the tie clip was to keep the, I mean, tie tacks are ornamental, aren't they? No, they, they go through this, they go through the backside too, to keep it all together. Okay. Well, see, I thought, see, I use a tie clip for that. That's what I would use a tie clip for is to keep the pieces together. But that's, uh, well, I guess, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not well, positive if a tie tack was ornamental or not. So you could well, argue. here's the thing is like the only reason you would, there's no need to use a tie tack to keep it all together because it has that tag in the back and, and it's designed to actually slip uh slip the smaller portion of the tie into the into that little tag in the back so it actually holds the big flap and the small flap together okay right, you, yeah. you, you don't have to put anything right i mean I've, I've i've tried it i've seen it it's designed to do that to hold those two yeah. flaps together i, I know that's yeah, not and proper, i can't recall if, if that jewelry i've got one it's not if i was at my office i could look at it you know eric has one too that the stacy Whatever that the, the tie clip came in, alligator tie clip. Did yes. that come with a tie tack as well? Yes, it did. I thought so. Yes, yeah. it did. Well, maybe yes. we measure measure maybe the tack against the hole. Maybe we'll see. So, also, I want to point out that you see all this crap on the knot here. This is probably all match particles, right up yeah. in here. See that, right in there. Really? Yeah, all match particles. Oh, because well, I'm trying to think if you're if you have a tie on, you're yeah, you're. I guess you're striking a match at, at that level. Yeah, you're lighting, you're lighting your cigarette, and then you're putting your tie on while you're well, getting ready for work. Here's the thing, Tom, and this is where I think it's sir. We we you know, I mean, the only thing that that proves or appears to prove or indicate is that DB Cooper was striking matches. Like it could have been, for example, I've brought up the whole idea of a guy working in a lab striking a Bunsen burner. You know, you're still striking matches, striking matches and striking matches. I mean, I remember I asked you once, did you find anything on the tie that's indicative of tobacco, a cigarette or whatever? And you said you weren't looking for that. Uh, so we don't really know. But I mean, this is one of those cases where maybe we should be a little careful. D.B. Cooper did smoke on the jet. Let's be clear about that. But you know, there is an abundant amount of match head debris on there, but that's just, in, you know, again, a maitre d' at a restaurant would strike a lot of matches as well, lighting candles yeah. before every evening. So yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that the guy was smoking like a chimney. Uh, there's a, there's the tag, Q40. Uh, Q41, folks, Q40 is the tie, and Q41 people is the name that the FBI gave to the uh, tie clip. That's the tie clip's tag. Uh so, it shows you where all the sample points came from, right? This, uh, is, from, this is all the, of the stubs. This, yeah, each this is this is this is where the stub was stuck on the tie, so it's picking up particles from each of these places, and each stub is numbered. So these stubs are a lot smaller than I, I thought. They're half inch. Okay. And if you see, they got a number on them. Oh, so that actually is the stub, right? That that is what that is. That is the stub. Yeah, you okay. see the numbers, right? Six six three. So this is how you this is how you got to keep track of stuff, right? If you don't do this, you get. I would have. I the smears would have been nothing if they didn't turn out to be from this back half of the tie. You huh. know, that's really strange. Yeah, I mean, I guess here's here's what I would say, Tom, is that if you need to wipe your hands on something, you wipe it on the back tail of the tie because mm -hmm. that's not visible. 
So yeah, if he's exactly. Hands, it also says he wasn't wearing a white lab coat because he's certainly wiping on the lab coat first. Could it could have yeah, or or maybe he didn't or, or maybe he just didn't want his lab coat to. Well, I guess I, I guess nobody cares if lab coats are clean or you know in that setting. You know, here's what we did. We went back to to get the tie the second time. I think we were loaded for bear there, right? <laughs> Was there a COVID outbreak back? <laughs> so you you see these things down here. These are all the filters that we used. Yeah. And then these are the stub boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So 2011 was the year, August 18, 2011. I was confused yeah. if it was 11 or 13. So 11 settles it. Okay. 11. Yeah. 11. No, but yeah. now I'm trying to remember now the, didn't, didn't y'all have access earlier than that? Like, didn't y'all, weren't y'all doing stuff in like 2008? Yes. This is the second trip. Yeah. So this okay. is the, we made the trip specifically to sample the tie because we knew how important the tie was. Thank God we did it because Ang, you know, Ang's not there anymore. And that was that was our life. He was very cooperative considering. Uh, and uh, had we waited any longer, you know, we would have lost access altogether, like what Eric's fighting with. Yeah, Ang gets Inga gets some grief uh, for him for buying into Marla. But here's the thing. I mean, you know. I mean, look, if Tina Mucklow, I mean, we have the FBI file now that says where Tina Mucklow was shown a picture of LD and said, that's as close as I've ever seen to him. Right. Well, and so that's that that means something if you're the FBI. Right. You know, it, or, you know, to them, at least. And I think that people can say, oh, Ng was interested, you know, whatever, for other reasons. But but I mean, I, I think that I think that that says something that Tina was interested in LD's picture, at least that that that. So, I mean, they can be forgiven for thinking that, you know, um, at the time, you know, for being yeah. interested in LD at the time, you know, um, yeah. and Marla passed lie detector tests, which people bring that up. And I'm like, look, that just means that she believed what she believed when you pass a lie detector test. Right. It's not that means it's, right. it's not verifying the truth. It's verifying the truth in your mind, you know, which is what we're looking at with, with, with that stuff. But now Ng, Ng gets some grief uh, from some people, but I, Ng, Ng has always seemed fine to me. I mean, I, you know. He's very unemotive, I guess, but that's a lot of the FBI when you talk to them. Well, like, he's in private, private, private practice now, so he's, he's yeah. All those now, guys, yeah. yeah. All the yeah. all those guys. I think the FBI. I think they push you out when you turn fifty-five, maybe, or maybe fifty-six. Whatever age Larry was last year, yeah, yeah. Was when they gave Larry Larry the boot there, you know. Yeah, he's so, yeah. It was like yeah, it was like fifty. He he was a young guy, fifty-five. That's right. Yeah, he's a kid. He's the, he's the kid there. Uh, Tom, for Tom, so, and, for Tom and me, you know, for uh, yeah, well, young, look, like Ryan. So another thing that if, if you know, because we're talking about, I, I titled this, we're discussing new developments. And um, one of the things that you discussed at CooperCon was the fact that we got, we believe now through your analysis that the money, uh, when it got waterlogged, was probably not mud water. It wasn't flood water is what you assume, correct? Well, that's another thing that, you know, Eric and I have uh, been looking at from two different sides of the fence. Sure. Um, now, so my original thinking, based on my history, not based on facts, was that when you have a flood, you have you have silty water. All right. And um, so I looked at the I looked at the money and I didn't see any silt. So I said, OK, uh, it probably wasn't buried in a flood. Right. That goes against what Eric was thinking. But I think it was you, Eric. Did you bring it up that fact that well, most of these floods come from snowmelt? That's I correct. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't say that, but I said, heck. <laughs> 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 
I said, who would have thought that Tom would have been one that wrecked the? <laughs> you know, I said, he's got a point there, right? He's got a point. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy the fact that snow melts coming down with clean water. You know, you, yeah, yeah, you got me on that one. Mm-hmm. So uh, somebody's just got to do a little bit of research and find out the clarity. Of the, there's probably a graph somewhere that shows clarity during flood events. Somebody's got to do a, a clarity an analysis and see what the story is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. My my theory could get pushed aside. Eric could move right to the front there, and uh, well, but I've never seen floodwaters that look clean. I mean, they're all always... eyes. That's why I was going. To, but I've never seen a glacial flood either. So yeah, I mean, I I, I yeah, I, I guess so. And I think what's really fascinating too. I, I think the most the thing that really blew me away um, with your presentation was. Could you bring up the graphic? Do you have that uh, on there of um, of where the particles were? I'm mean, not the particles of where the uh, diatoms the were. Yeah, you know, with the rubber bands. If you can bring that up, that was really fascinating to where, where you could literally. And I, was, I actually had a phone call with Brian Ingram today, and and I mentioned this to Brian, and um, Brian was talking about it. He was he was like, oh, so Tom verified basically that there were rubber bands because he was going, you know, you know, Brian's thinking like. You know, I've always I know there were rubber bands because I saw them, but part of me second guesses what I saw when I was eight years old or whatever. You know, sure, sure. Just, you know what? That's how you know Brian's legit, right? Yeah, no, Brian is honest, isn't it? Brian, we love you. Is he on? Is he on with us right now? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, but no, so we love is this, Brian. Is is this? Yeah, if he ever sees this recording, you know, he's made a lot of this possible. He he gave me those fragments. <laughs> he could have sold those fragments for a bunch of money. He's getting requests for even the fragments. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been a great contributor. So is this the graph you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, this is it for sure. Yeah, I'm interested in this one. I think this one's really fascinating that you can basically see kind of where a, where the rubber bands would have been compressing. Because like, if, if people can imagine a packet of money with two, with two rubber bands on each side, actually, I've got a graphic of what I think the Cooper money this is the best to my, this is the best I can I can come up with. See if you can see that graphic there. That is really close to what I think the Cooper money looked like. Um, you've got rubber bands on each on the on the sides with a paper strap somewhere in the middle there. Um, what how many how what how many packets were in each bundle? We we don't know, three to five, whatever. But that this looks like five packet bundles in this photograph here, Tom. I'm I'm not sure if you can see that picture there. But I think yeah, that's no, I definitely what, see it. And that's exactly, you know, uh, what yeah. my analysis was on the. Um, yeah, on right the there. Thing. Yeah, yeah, you just I, had it. No, I think I came to a final conclusion. Uh, maybe I didn't. OK, well, yeah, the idea being that, yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly that your. Uh, your stuff was probably the right deal there. Yeah. And so if you go back to that thing, if we go back to, to the, the the one with the lines where you can see the, you know, your, yeah, one second, let me get yeah. to the lines. I thought, I thought I had a, this is the one I'm thinking of. Um, that's, that's what, you know, was my conclusion too. So, yeah, there we go. And, and that's because, and so the, the thought is, is that the diatoms were less likely to infiltrate the areas where the money would have been squeezed tighter. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that, that's really interesting. Um, 
and talking about well, it also explains why you get three bundles together without a bag right yeah, if right. rubber bands were still intact you'd hold three bundles together with rubber bands like that yeah but it, yeah but they weren't and, and and i asked brian that again today um because i'm finally getting around to, getting around to writing the you know the, the demonic tina bar chapter of my book i hate tina bar people i just i can't stand it it's so confusing to me but i have to write a chapter i've actually considered i'm like can i just leave this out of my db cooper book i don't want to talk about it but i'm finally getting around Nightmare. to talking about it and so i i called uh i called brian and um I, he's brian specifically remembers basically reaching into the reaching in, it wasn't a hole he said it was you know because he was pulling them out of the ground so it wasn't like oh, there's a hole right he, he, he remembers three different times pulling out. So each packet mm -hmm. was individual in there. Now, they were laying on top of each other, but he said that they were kind of like, you know, catacornered a little bit. They weren't, you know, like they weren't neatly stacked, but you wouldn't expect neatly stacked. And anyway, and I've done experiments where, you know, I've gotten a bundle from the bank and I threw it. I, I just rolled it along the ground in my house. And those they were already kind of come, the packets were already shifting. You know, the yeah. you know, rubber bands aren't going to hold them perfectly tight like that you and know that, we found shit. that in that one example you know in the example that i showed in the in the thing where it's it's got you know we know that they were sideways from that previous example if i can find it here um yeah. so yeah it all it all kind of fits together and makes sense right yeah that so, we've got you know that, that basically and it kind of and it all kind of verifies that you know it was in these bricks because if you know you look at this photo here we've got we have uh jack almstead uh Cooper passenger. He talked about. He said, he said the woman was carrying a, what looked like what, what looked to him like a pillowcase with bricks inside of it, <laughs> right? Uh, he said. And then um, we've got Bill Grinnell who was there at CooperCon. He said in his lap, he said it felt like that there were bricks in a, in the bag, right? So they weren't, yeah. you know, they, they were bundled together. We we definitely know that. But again, that you know they shift over time. I mean, and the rubber bands, like I said, Brian barely remembers rubber bands at all you know he's questioning himself but yeah but know, it was in the 302s i think it was no actually was, that that's the fascinating part about it is that uh, rubber bands uh, are never actually mentioned in the 302s um we've looked for it um and that was the whole with eric you know we got into it about the you know bank type band stuff right but i mean but, but that's because they never say there's rubber bands but again we talked to the bank and they said well yeah of course it was of course it was rubber banded and again every other hijacking I've seen, I wish I had those photos, but I mean, every other, um, every other, uh, uh, all the other ransom money that I've seen is always bundled together like that. And it's always, you know, it's, you know, what's interesting about this, Tom, is that if that, uh, research that you showed is valid, that clearly indicates that the rubber bands had maintained their integrity to the degree where it could pinch the bills together months when it got, wet. Yeah. When it got wet after what's that yeah, yeah when it got wet yeah right. yeah seven months later you know in the spring of 72 in the earliest situation there that's a good thought now, on, now on the other hand we know that rubber bands under normal conditions lose their integrity after a few months six certainly six months so wouldn't this seem to support the whole notion that the bills actually were buried before they were exposed because then essentially the rubber bands and everything are protected 
and the you know they're maintaining their integrity basically in a oxygen deprived environment dark no uv that kind of thing and then they're exposed to the to the river and and you know let's say june of 72 because again it's very hard to explain less if the money was sort of exposed to the elements since november of 71 that would be flood water though eric right i mean that's correct yes from yes that kind of yeah, because I mean, again, the, the, according to what Tom's showing showing here, those bands were still tightly securing the packets. Well, not this one later though. until spring. Not the one that we're showing here. This one, this band is broken and twisted. That had to happen before it got buried. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so what are we looking at? So this means that there was a band over on the left hand side here. Can you see my cursor? There was yeah. a band on the left hand side holding this together. There was no band over yes. here yes. because these were all locked in place after the burial because we yep. found fragments of this corner. See this corner up here? Those are yep. all locked in place from the burial. They're not even, they're not moving after the burial. So okay. this shows that the bands were not intact on this particular bundle because they were skewed. They were well, skewed let me ask you still this. loose. Couple, couple of questions. The, the, first of all, how do you know you're not dealing with two separate packets, just one packet askew to the relative to the one beneath it? And then the yeah. second thing is the second thing is that what you showed with the the two ends sort of being clipped together. If I'm, I mean, I think that's what you just showed. Yeah. Like that, that that obviously, at least in the case of that individual packet, those ends were clipped together when they were exposed to spring or summer diatoms, which clearly was months later. So, I mean. Therefore, it's reasonable to deduce that they were somehow protected. The rubber bands were somehow protected for at least six or seven months to be exposed to the spring water, regardless of whether it was some guy dipping it in the river or yeah. it was the flood water, which is what I think it was related to, or some other scenario, right? I mean, yeah, it would point to they, an early they, burial, not a multi year later burial. You know, it probably happened like like we we're all saying within the first year. You know, within the first few months, between between November of the jump, and they probably got buried that spring. But know, or, but yeah. again, my my point though is that well, let me just let me just ask you this: if let's just say, and you may, maybe you don't know the answer, but let's say the money was sitting in the in the bag, and the bank bag is sitting on the side of the river for seven months till June of seventy two. Was it wet? Was it wet? Well, let's just. Well, I mean, obviously, it rained and stuff during that period of time. So it wasn't being it wasn't being inundated by the river water. That's correct. It obviously did not come into contact with the river water, but it's nonetheless is sitting on the side of the river for seven months, uh, and then it gets exposed to the river water somehow because that's the diatoms appear magically appear. So like. Uh, given the temperature variance and, and they're not like, like they're protected by being inside the bag and everything. Do you happen to know if the rubber bands could maintain their integrity during that? Yeah, seven I can answer that question because we did that experiment, okay. right? We had a set, a set of rubber bands in a, a battleground, right? They were in battleground in a backyard, in a tray, exposed to rain, sun, all that stuff under sand. Not in a bag, but under sand. But the bag, I think, is superfluous in this case because you've got uh, the bag is protecting it from sunlight and 
and that kind of thing. But rain still gets through. Sand is doing the same thing. The sunlight's not getting through the sand, right? And we saw the degradation profile by six months. The rubber bands are falling apart. So okay, uh, you can take a look so, at the website. So hold on a second. Let me just clear. So after six, seven months, rubber bands fell apart regardless whether they were exposed directly to the sunlight or they were yeah it, under the sand so, or under so the sand let me, or let me be precise there uh, again i have to be scientifically precise here because it's not polar we stretched rubber bands to different lengths right on the if you see that board lots of stretch medium stretch low stretch the most stretches like we're all done half of like the I, i'm off the bat top of my head you go look at the website and see the medium stretches like where half of those things were broken and of the low stretches i don't think any of them were broken right so but the low stretches had very little tension on them i don't think the tension would be enough to hold a bundle together yeah, yeah tom i'm actually um pulling uh this up uh as we as we speak this uh let me there it is here's your there it is yeah yeah so yeah uh, so the more they were stretched the quicker they the, broke. the quicker they fail yeah the quicker sure that makes fail. sense i mean that's logical right right um because their right. their integrity is more compromised i guess right um and this but, was pretty but, similar across all the burials we had now, one in the river we had one in sand we had the ones in my lab still are not broken but uh, but what is the one that this one here that says 234 days on the right is this yeah. where was was that buried or what what Looks I believe dirty. that particular one was on in the river here by my house. Oh, so that one was underwater. Yeah. So, but, but those ones on the right that aren't stretched. Yes. But if you look carefully, they got little cracks in them. Oh, do they? Okay. You, you can, if you zoom in, you'll see there's little cracks in them. Yeah. So they and under any stretching, they would be falling apart already. So they're they're degraded. They just haven't uh, snapped yet. Now, I mean, but but those are stretched. They're just not stretched a lot. I mean, not stretched those, a lot. Yeah, there's not okay. The ones on the far right. Okay, now, okay. And now, what Brian was saying today when I asked him again about rubber bands, he said that, like I said, because I, I said, well, was there any indication that these rubber bands were, were holding anything together? He said no. He said because I've, I mean, I've I saw them. Basically, there was hardly anything left of these rubber bands to, to the point where it wasn't like they were actually holding anything together. I, I would yeah. think that the, that the water being waterlogged is what fused those bills together. I would think as a packet or whatever. Yeah, I would think. But right, rubber bands Tom, get moldy and gummy and will stick to stuff. So I'm not surprised he found some stuck to the bills, even if the rest of it was broken away. And then and then he flicked them off with his finger. I think is how he described. Yeah, it. I mean he barely even remembers. Yeah, he just he says I I can't. He was really happy though today because when I told him about your analysis, he goes, Oh well, that's he says because he didn't want to be telling lies to people about these rubber bands, right? He didn't want to. Um, yeah. We need to get know. Brian out there. We got to pay for him to get out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was, he was saying that he wants to, um, you know, come. Uh, he said he couldn't come this past year, but he'd like to come, to come next year to CooperCon. But I think that that was the, but yeah, so we got the DNA thing. I mean, the hair slide, I actually got, um, I, I checked, I checked on the hair slide, that FOIA that I filed. I actually checked on that. And it said that, uh, it had been closed and that something had been sent to me. Now I've not gotten that the mail yet. Um, now, like I said, I suspect they'll say, you know, whatever. I mean, probably nothing, but if I had to guess, my guess would be that the, that the hair slide 
if I mean, it surely exists. Um, I bet it is in Vegas. I, I, I think that's where they misplaced it because that's the last place where we know that they had it. And it never because so what happened is in 1998, um, when they were starting to think about DNA stuff, they sent a memo to uh, Portland and to, and to Vegas saying, hey, if you all have any physical evidence from Norjack, send it to us, you know, and, and go ahead and close your case out. You know, um, it's called Are You Seeing? They put RUC on the document, which means like we're referring it to the original case of origin, which is Seattle for Norjack, right? So, um, and of course, Vegas said, we don't have anything down here. And uh, Seattle writes back and says, you are supposed to have cigarette butts and a hair slide. <laughs> and they go, well, we don't have that. Well, then they look a little more and they say, actually, well, it turns out, sorry, folks, we, we, we destroyed the cigarettes in seven. Well, they don't say when, but it would have been in 71 when they destroyed them most likely um, because they sent them to the crime lab for fingerprint analysis and just to verify what brand of cigarettes it was. Um, and they told, they told the crime lab, this is the Vegas office. When y'all are done with it, if they if they have no evidentiary value, uh, destroy them. And they, and thankfully the crime lab, of course, was like, well, we're not destroying this. So they sent it back to Vegas. You, you know, you guys can destroy it. If y'all want to destroy evidence, <laughs> that's on y'all. They don't want to get blamed for anything. That's right. Smart. And so we actually don't have a return receipt on the hair slide from, well, um, 84. Okay, so 84 was the last time that they a- analyzed anybody's hair with the hair slide. And we actually don't we actually don't have a return receipt. I mean, oftentimes in the files, you'll see where they're like, okay, we received this back from D.C. or whatever, right? We don't have that. But that doesn't mean they, they – they, they, well, I guess I'm getting confused. I'm talking about the cigarettes. But the cigarettes. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, we don't have it. That's what it is. We don't have either of these things. Now, you, you, I'll wrap this up shortly. But you said you threw cold water on me a while back, Tom, and it hurt my feelings um, because because I'm such a hair slide advocate here because I do think that would would be. I mean, if you, I mean, if you had his hair, well, geez, I mean, now of course I always joke about how the way the vortex is, that wouldn't be Cooper's hair. That would be the the circus dwarf who sat on that seat on the earlier flight that day. Right. You know, we'd be like, Oh, great. Of course it can't be Cooper. Yeah, you can't, you can't hold out hope for that. I mean, that's not the Holy grail. No. I mean, it's, and like you said too, that the hair slide would have been in some sort of. Yeah. In a mounting medium. Yeah. It'd be, right. it'd be mounted in balls. It's called balsam. It's like a pine tar. It's like, it's, a, it's it'd be, it would have been mounted inside a, a resin. And so, and that would contaminate, you think the ability to, well, you got to dig the hair out of that stuff. Right. It's got a glass cover slip over it. You know, it's you got to break through the cover slip. You got to dig out, dig it out of the resin, and then you got to take the root of the hair. That's where the DNA would be. Um, and so, yeah, it was. It was been sitting in pine tar for fifty years. So. And so. Well. Go ahead. What, what I'm concerned about, what I'm wondering, Tom, is like, how long is it going to take you to scientifically prove that Vince Peterson was D.B. Cooper? Yeah, a couple <laughs> hours. Give me a couple hours. <laughs> Complete. Uh, I'm going to make you a star, Eric. You're going to owe me. I just, I just need 10% song. of all the royalties coming from the books. And... Hey, yeah, Eric, Eric uh, I don't know if you saw my comment earlier when you were saying that there are three rock stars in the Cooper case. You said it was Larry, yeah. Tom. And uh, Tom Colbert for doing the FOIA stuff. And uh, I said, well, I guess that makes you Ringo, right? Because you're the fourth <laughs> one. That makes you Ringo. 
Because you're the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're the fourth guy who ends up solving it. But uh, yeah, yeah, Ringo's money, he'd be fine. (laughs) Yeah, Tom, real quick. Um, the total sidebar from Cooper. You were talking about dinosaur bones, DNA stuff. Like I thought dinosaur bones. I thought fossils were just rocks, right? There you go. There's the argument, right? Everybody thought fossils are rocks. Are they not? Well, it depends on, on what side of the fence you're on, right? You what know, do you mean? Just, How is there the arguments don't end at Cooper World, right? They don't end in the vortex. So they, that's they an go actual, off into all this stuff. Wait, so that's so, actually de- debated whether they're whether fossils or have organic material. They're, they're finding things. They're, they're well. I showed you how we can get titanium and antimony out of an instrument, right? Yeah. If you want to believe it's antimony, you can believe it's antimony. There might be other explanations, but if you want to believe it's antimony. If you put a dinosaur bone in a mass spectrometer, stuff comes out that looks like proteins. Hmm. All right. Is it dinosaur proteins? Well, is it antimony? Right. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. You know, is there other reasons? Are there reasons to believe it's not? Yeah, there are reasons to believe it's not. But I'll tell you, dinosaur proteins, a lot more exciting, gets a lot more research time, gets a lot of money. If Tom K comes along and says, no, it's bacteria, how many people do you think, yeah, I believe in Tom? Right, dang. Even even though bacteria is the ninety nine percent chance, right? Right, it's Jeez. nowhere okay. near as much fun. Okay, so, so I'm we... the antichrist. Well, <laughs> <I> say that. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, right. like, you're the guy who rains on everyone's parade. I rain yeah. on everybody's parade. Yeah, believe me, it screws me up too. Right, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other, uh, say, coopery uh, things in the in the news or. Uh, Things to the things to discuss. Uh, Eric, Eric, uh, his, you are going to appeal this lawsuit. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. The, that, the judges. Is, well, hold on, hold on. I'm going to appeal it unless we can come to an agreement with something else. Uh, so stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> How's that for a teaser? <laughs> so, you're, you're threatening yeah. them. Okay, I, I see. <laughs> Well, cool. How many people are left? They still watching? We still oh yeah, audience? full house. Yeah, I mean, people. Tom, hey, Tom, 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 you're you're the rock Tom's star. Yeah, on. you're the star. You're the att- attraction. You know, that's, yeah. That's right. Elvis is in the building currently. Yes. <laughs> well, the people like to call. Uh, uh, there are people who did call Eric Eric Elvis back in the day. Um, on Drop Zone, they used to call Eric Elvis. I think it was at Georgia, maybe. Who <laughs> calls him? Elvis. Well, that's that's because that's because my. Uh, Avatar was Elvis. Thank you very much. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. That's right. So I'll throw yeah, in my two cents about Eric's particle, right? It was really yeah. my well, hold on a second here. Let me let me just throw in as a side note, talking about Vince Peterson. Vince Peterson okay. died August 16th, 2002, which is the 25th anniversary of Elvis's death as a matter of coincidence. So there you go. Okay. So there you go. But yes, the particle. The king, the king. Okay, Mr. so Eric thinks it's a roller, right? We can test this. We're going to see. I'm going to get some stuff in, and we'll see. I think it's a stainless bolt going through a titanium flange, like you'd find in the chemist in the chemical world, right? So yeah, we're switching over to titanium from stainless because titanium is more anti-corrosive, and this anti-corrosive thing keeps coming up, right? If we find from that salt, if your research on the salt goes to the anti-corrosion world, it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, they were switching from stainless steel over to titanium uh, tubes and pipes and vats and all that kind of stuff that they use in chemical processing. 
for this highly corrosive stuff. But they wouldn't use titanium bolts because they weren't directly uh, exposed to the uh, to those the, you know the elements in the tube. So when you have these flanges, you'll bolt them together with some bolts, and they would typically, I believe, I don't know 100%, they would should be titanium in, in the stainless in these chemical processing things. And when you screw a bolt down, you know, you maul that bolt into the metal, and sure. it would be pretty easy to get a particle of one mushing into the particle of the other. I agree. I'm I'm 100% on board with the one mushed into the other. I, they're not sitting uh, on top of each other because uh, there, there's striations and stuff that shows that it's in there. So right. if you can find some roller stuff, that would be interesting. Uh, and let's see. I think it's a good angle, and I think it, it's getting us the publicity that Eric's getting in Pittsburgh, I think, is super important. And I want to say publicly again that I think finally, after all the years I've been involved in the Cooper case, we're finally in the neighborhood, right? We're finally in the neighborhood. He came, it's pretty damn obvious at this point, he came from a metallurgical neighborhood, right? The guys and the guy in that picture I showed you is Cooper, as far as I'm concerned. And we're in that neighborhood. So bravo, forge ahead, Cooperites. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you're pretty convinced that, you know, it, 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 that it is a, a metallurgy type thing. And I, I like, I mean, the thing is about the, if you talk about people talking about the, the thing about the tie coming from Goodwill or whatever it is, I mean, that's not how you approach things, right? Like, you know, the FBI or any law enforcement, like if, you know, if, if they, if, if a guy robbed a bank and, you know, some teller on the way out, you know, grabbed, grabbed the guy's shirt and the guy ran off without a shirt, right? They're going to say, well, maybe he picked up this shirt from XYZ, right? It, it's, it's, it's the bank robber's shirt, you know? So like, it's almost like you're trying to, you're trying to find an excuse in a way to not accept the, the validity of a piece of evidence. Right. And I mean, yeah, it could have come from Mars. I mean, but that's not the way that we operate. And again, right. You know, statistics, statistics is on our side here. Yeah. Statistically, I mean, it's more likely to be Cooper's tie than not. Yeah. And uh, exactly. And I think about like, even someone like McNally, you know, McNally worked at a gas station, you know, he was not a guy, but he owned a suit. You know, I mean, everybody owned a suit and tie. And you know, McNally wore a suit from his closet, you know, and, and he, he didn't care about losing it because he's going to go. He's, he's, about, I mean, he's about to make five hundred thousand dollars. He can buy another suit. Right. He didn't care about it getting dirty or lost or leaving it behind or whatever, you know. So the arguments I don't like. I've never liked the arguments for Goodwill because how does that help? I mean, you're, you know, you're you're doesn't help us. I mean, because, look, maybe it did come from Goodwill, but we have to explore this avenue first. Right. I mean, we have to. I mean, I don't know. I just don't like the the poo pooing of the of the uh, of the tie particles coming from somewhere else because that doesn't. I mean, I don't know. And again, the 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 tie particles seem to point toward aerospace adjacent anyway. So, and what we know of Cooper's brain, right? I mean, and that's the difference. I I, I talk a lot about copycats, right? But but he's not. But thing is, Cooper wasn't a copycat. Well, I mean, he may have been for. Paul Senior or whatever, but point is, is that this is Cooper's masterpiece, right? There's only one Beatles, right? There's only one Da Vinci, right? So I mean, like, this was a masterpiece of a hijacking, perhaps. And so Cooper did have this intelligence about aviation, right? And so it makes sense that he would have aviation adjacent. It, it's almost like, you know, if a guy went and and, and robbed a rodeo, right? And his tie and his and his 
blue jeans that they found on at the crime scene, you know, had fertilizer on it or whatever. Right. Well, the guy's a farmer. You know what I'm saying? It's, it is what it is. It's, right? it's the best we got. If you want yeah. to find them, this is the best Avenue we've got, you know? So that's all, that's all about. If you get some DNA, you're still going to use the tie to verify it. Right. It'll be the second yeah. line of evidence. Right. So yeah. And get the it, DNA it, we'll work on the tie, try and get the DNA. DNA is a mountain to climb, but it, it is climbable. Yeah. Um, and like I say, I've offered up tape. All right. I'll offer up one of my tapes to the right forensic place that can get multiple hits off of that thing. Yeah. And somebody asked here, Tom, real quick, when we wrap up, uh, somebody asked, uh, can you ask Tom how many of these tie particles could be found on the, on the, on the ties of the pilots? Well, we couldn't I, find any particles on the guy that worked in Boeing. <laughs> I mean, we had a guy that worked in Boeing in the mechanical shop and all that for more than he wore the tie for a decade. He's approximately, he said, and he told us what particles should be on the tie, right? right. Including glow in the dark stuff to look for cracks, uh, luminol or something they call it, and uh, and that we didn't find any of that on the tie. We didn't. I it was clean as hell. You couldn't have determined anything about this guy from what was on his tie. And he was an engineer at Boeing, wearing the thing daily. Or, you know, enough to make that he should have had a bunch of stuff. He thought he had stuff on the tie. Cooper was a mess, man. I Maybe that's why he wore a tie from, and he's going to jump out into a, into the woods at night wearing the wearing a suit because he didn't give a damn about his clothes. He's wiping the grease off on his tie and everything. He probably didn't give a damn. I'm going to go in my tie and I'll blast through right. the woods. I don't care. <laughs> no, it, it, it's pretty fascinating, too, the fact that we've got, um, the fact that we have, like, the fact that we actually have Tina seeing him put on the parachute, because think about McNally, right? McNally was wearing blue jeans and a polo shirt under his suit. And he sent the stewardesses to the front before he put his parachute on, right? He took his pants off and everything. So, you know, we know that Cooper jumped looking like what we, I mean, unless he took all that crap off of him while Tina, in those 30 minutes, which I don't think he did, then he jumped out wearing a suit, you know, whereas, um, but we wouldn't know that though. We would have to like, you know, somebody like McNally comes along and, along and, and informs the vortex that he jumped wearing blue jeans and a polo shirt and he threw his pants and stuff out the back. You know, um, that would have, you know, if we didn't know that Cooper had, had jumped, if we didn't know that Cooper had already had his stuff on and tied to him, right, then maybe that would have been a possibility that Cooper had thrown his stuff out. I always find it funny that the when the FBI found McNally's pants, they said, oh, you see, this is proof he did die in the jump, that his pants got ripped off. Um, you know, they said that they thought his pants got ripped off. And, the FBI always wants him to die in the jump. They End did. Story. They the did. Case. And and I, and I will end this by saying that I, I have talked to a um, couple of FBI agents who had, who were on the case in '71. Okay, um, for the book, and um, those guys. When I talked to, I asked both of them. I said, "Be honest." This is after I got a good rapport with those guys both lawyers and I'm a lawyer. So, you know, we kind of got along. And uh, so basically uh, when I talked to those guys, I got a good rapport with them. I said, look, last question, shoot me straight. What did you guys actually believe, you know, about Cooper and surviving dying? He goes, Oh, we knew within, you know, within, you know, uh, days, weeks that he lived. I mean, he said, I was like, I thought that was really fascinating, you know, that, that they did that, you know, um, they admitted that they're like, oh yeah, we we know he lived. I mean, I, his he, his thing was like, you know, you know, his whole thing was, you know, what are we supposed to say other, other than, I mean, we can't say, yeah, well, crap, folks, he got away. 
We screwed up. We let him go. We messed yeah, up. Yeah, he said, so of course we're going to say to the media, he died. And we, and we don't want to just, and he said, we wanted to discourage copycats. And of course I said, well, that didn't work, did it? You know, I don't, no. just, you know not work at all. But, but they said that, look, once nobody found a body in their backyard, once there was no parachute hung up in a tree, and, um, you know, then, then they knew. So anyway, well, I got to wrap this up, folks. All right. Well, anyway, thanks, thanks, thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, putting this together, Ryan. This is great. I'm glad that we could uh, manage to get to talk with Tom and hear Tom and everything. So appreciate that. Very yeah, much. It was good because We didn't actually sit down much at CooperCon. You know, we don't have, no. you think we'd have a, a discussion like this at CooperCon, Eric, but we don't really, you're running around all the time and stuff and taking care of biz. So it was good. It was very good. I'm glad to do it. So we'll, uh, so go out there and find them, guys. We we need a solution to the case so Eric can sleep. And, that's right. And please send me that uh, salt analysis. I'm very excited okay. to see that and uh, and wrap this case up once and for all. Good, good. <laughs> all right, everybody. Good night, Vortex. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye. Great. Thanks, we'll Ryan. You Thank soon. you. Thanks, Tom. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.